Welcome to The Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week, we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas, and at least one good story. Episode 101, Celebration of Life Festival, the Mississippi, where Z parted the clouds. Are you not moved when all the sway of earth shakes like a thing unfirm? Shakespeare. I have just four questions. Mm. And the last question is, tell me your best travel story. Mm. So hopefully the first three questions will get your mind, mm. get the wheels turning and you'll... Give me another question story. while I'm pondering that one. Yeah. <laughs> And like I said, we can edit, so you can tell as many stories as you want. And the idea of the podcast is just to look at how travel changes people. Mm. So I'm, I'm curious how a life on the road has changed you. You've been a traveling musician, right? Somewhat. Um, you know, not, not like on the road like a lot of artists are, but... Uh, um, probably the most interesting thing we ever did was 18 of us made a trek to California in all kinds of old rigs and anything we could scrape together because mm -hmm. we had made a record deal and we are going to go out there and record an album and uh, but let me start before that uh, we were living on a farmhouse out west of town. How, how much detail you want in this? Just as much as you want. Good. Okay. Actually, let's back up even further. Okay. I have two questions before that. All right. So, f the very first question is: Can you describe what you look like Ooh. for the audience? <laughs> it's audio, but I want them to have a picture in their mind. Uh, let's see, like to. a young Robert Redford. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, what I look like now is, is a weathered version of what I used to look like, so it's hard to say how far back, you know, you want to go, but yeah. <laughs> my heyday, I probably look kind of like Grizzly Adams or somebody. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I don't know, because my family is all, they look like Native Americans, I mean they're dark. My mom is mostly Native American. And only two of us had blonde hair and blue eyes and I happened to be one. And so I'm not typical of the way my family looks. And so I, I don't see me in them, you know, so I, I don't have a background of of what, what I actually look like, you know, over the years. But I have some photos that we made promos for the album cover and all that. That's about the only pictures I have. In fact, I hated having my picture taken when I was young. And whenever they were taking family photographs, you'd see this blur, and that was me <laughs> getting away. Here comes the camera. Oh, no. <laughs> so there aren't any pictures. Uh, can you describe where we are right now? Where we are right now. Can you describe this place? Oh, shoot. Give them 
give the listeners a sense of... Okay, well, we're just a, a little ways east of Guthrie, Oklahoma. And it was the original first capital of the state. And uh, it, in its heyday, it was full of carpetbaggers and and uh, all kinds of uh, outlaws and Indians and, and it was uh, this great mix of humanity. For some reason they got the idea to move the capital of Oklahoma City. <laughs> so they stole the seal, the state seal, and took it to Oklahoma City. <laughs> so we're thinking at the, the centennial, which was 07, we were going to go down and steal that seal back. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we came so close to getting it organized, and uh, we chickened out the last minute. <laughs> but um, we thought that'd be a lot of fun. So uh, there's this kind of, it's, th there's no real tension, but it's a historic thing between Oklahoma City and Guthrie that they stole our capital. And so it's a real historic town, you know, and it, it has a few Victorian buildings and there's so many different styles of architecture. You can't, it's not just one style. They, the promoters like to promote Guthrie as a little Victorian village, but it never was. It was all kinds of uh, structures and so forth. How long have you lived here? I came here in 83. Okay, that's the year I was born. Really? Yeah. Oh, 83, all right. You were born in 83. 33 years ago. Tell me about that. I don't know if I know the, the whole story. Allison told me a long time ago you had a, an arts colony, is it, or commune, or? Oh, originally, yeah. The first band that we put together, well, I rented this farmhouse out west of town near a little town called Piedmont. And uh, so uh, I just put this band together and, and some of the players had girlfriends and one of them had a kid and people kept showing up and before long we were like a, a commune. But we didn't set out to do that. It just worked out that way. <laughs> and so it it was an experiment without consciously trying to have one in group consciousness in the 60s and you know just living off the land and living naturally and organically and so there weren't any cider house rules you know like that movie where everyone you gotta obey these rules when you do that you set up a tension you know and people say why I gotta do that? You know, you can't eat your lunch on the roof and stuff. And we didn't have any of that. But you were expected to do certain things, like if the well lost its prime, and you primed it, fill up the prime bucket again, first thing, so when it loses, and it will lose its prime about once a day. It was a real shallow well, just a little farmhouse, and there were 25 of us at one time. Wow. And we lived in chicken coops and smoke houses <laughs> and anywhere we could, man and packed in that house and there was the greatest harmony and cooperation I have ever seen. No rules and if there were relationships they were respected and there was no weird stuff 
people paired off. They actually formed couples and had relationships. And they were honored and there was no, you know, fighting over a woman or something. It just never happened. And clean out the bathroom after you take a bath and don't leave a mess and put the lid back on the peanut butter and those were our rules. If you take a car in the city, be sure it has enough gas to get back into the city in case there was a little gas station right next door. And it just happened that the deputy sheriff owned it. And you know, they never hassled us once. Well, we never caused any trouble. We were peaceful and, and hardworking. We, we would go into town and, and uh, roof houses or set uh, forms and poor footings, and so we were always working. And we'd play some benefits, and uh, occasionally we'd play at a bar or something, and uh, so uh, one night, one of the guys had closed in a porch and made a, a living space, and he had a wood heater in there, and it caught, caught the wall on fire. And so we are having supper, and all of a sudden somebody says, fire, and we all run out. And so people ran upstairs and started pitching stuff out the window, you know, to save it. Somebody got hit in the head with a guitar that came <laughs> Look out, was it? So Forrest ran in and rescued the food. That's all he cared about. <laughs> so the volunteer, Piedmont Volunteer Power Department comes roaring down the highway. And they went right by us and we're like, <laughs> and they turned around and came back and put out the fire and they brought coffee and cookies and we just sat and had a good time and met some of the people. And so from there, that's where we went to the celebration of life. I see. And after we got back to California, we relocated and started another little cycle of stuff. Let me ask just two yeah, more questions. Sure. So this is my, my big question. How do you think that changed you? That whole experience? That's a good question. Let's see. Um, well, my fundamental background was fundamentalist Christian. Mm. And Oki, my folks, my mama was Choctaw and Cherokee. And she came from the old Choctaw Nation down the southeast part of the state. My daddy came from Fort Towson, which was a, and his people were Dutch, and they met one day and they got married. And so Indians and hillbillies is what they were. And they, when my grandfather died, I think, my mama and her sisters moved to the big city. Uh, I think they lost all their lands that were allotted to them through taxation and swindling and so forth. And so they came, became pretty much dispossessed, ended up here in the big city. And so uh, we were this crazy mixed blood family and uh, we didn't fit in anywhere. And uh, we in fact lived in an abandoned streetcar terminal after the war because there was so little housing and there were 10 of us. And, so we were always living on the edge of society and so when the 60s rolled around i was prepared uh, to live off the land and you know sleep in a smokehouse i didn't care 
And, and to this day, I don't like houses. I don't like living in houses because I never lived in, you know, one winter we slept in a barn, me and my two brothers. And so we were moving around. And uh, so by the time the 60s came along, and we're all living together, I had already had that experience with a big family. So it was real natural for me. So it didn't change me too radically, you know, in that way. But uh, the closeness and, and the spirituality of it and everything else, of course, uh, changed all of us and, and made us more aware of just human consciousness and, and raising consciousness, and that's what our band used to try to do. So, um, today I'm not much different, you know, overall than I was back then. So we've kind of continued. We're not a, a group, but we are, but we're kind of spread out and we stay in touch and we're in different parts of the country. All right, last question. Yeah. How did you learn how to tell stories so well? Do I tell stories? You do. Huh. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, well, first of all, I'm a Gemini, and we never stop talking, so we're always working on... That's what's wrong with Donald Trump. <laughs> he can't stop talking because he's a Gemini and he's got to tweet all the time and we go crazy. Because, see, you're a Virgo and your ruler is Mercury, your planet. You're talking about Allison. Yes. For, for the listeners. Oh, Allison. I was talking to her earlier about being a Virgo. So Virgos and Geminis have something in common. They're both ruled by the planet Mercury, who's the messenger of the gods. Mm-hmm. And we gather, if, and the most scholarly, enlightening, fun people I've known have been Virgos. They gather information, and they're students of history or whatever. And Stoney Burke was this big giant of a man, a Virgo. And he was our, he would fill us in on the latest political or whatever was happening. Stoney always had a tale. And he did it with a kind of a light-hearted spirit. It wasn't, you know, heavy lecturing or anything. He just filled us in. And so, uh, I studied to be a preacher when I was 20, 8, uh, 20, in Bethany Nazarene College. And so, I used to practice preaching. I don't think I ever preached. <laughs> It'd probably run me out of town on it, but... Uh, so maybe some of that and growing up in that fundamentalist thing and, and uh, big family and probably some of my kinfolk were storytellers and Native Americans and others and just kind of a tradition. Now you want to know uh, a fascinating experience we had on the, kind of on the road but we went down to Louisiana near New Orleans to the Celebration of Life. Have you ever heard of that no. festival? No. Well, it was supposed to be our version of Woodstock down, and it was an island in the Mississippi that they were going to do this concert mm. with all the big names. And we lived on a little farm 
out west of Oklahoma City near a little town called Piedmont, where I rented a farmhouse. So an earlier band, we'd have a place to rehearse that wouldn't disturb the neighbors and we could make all the noise we wanted to. And so one day the guys came in with a poster for the celebration of life. And they said, we're going to this. And I went, all right. You know, we were broke and old rigs and how are we going to get to it? But I didn't say that. It's like, all right, let's go. And about that time, Paul Carlson, Joe called from California, and said, hey, the Renaissance Fair people are coming through on the way to celebration. Can you put them up for a couple of days? And we said, oh, yeah. So we had a sister farm down by Norman. You know where Norman is? Yeah. And it had better facilities, so let's send them down there, and then they can shop in Norman if they need to because we were way out in nowhere. And so uh, they showed up and, and one of the guys, Charlie Smith, went down to see what was going on and he called and said, hey, everyone's here, bring the band down, let's have a party. So we went down and sat up against the barn and just played, and, and they had all these uh, Renaissance Fair dancers in tie-dye and they were all dancing, we were playing under, under the moonlight next to the barn. And them Californians, they'd never seen anything like that. So they said, you got to come with us to the festival. And we said, you can play the free stage. So we said, uh, okay, it'll take us a day or two. We'll be right behind you. So we buy a, a USPA and fixed up the rigs best we could. Todd had his old house trailer and that old car he had, an old Oldsmobile or Buick or something. And we took off. And we were driving through Arkansas and we pulled over because we were having a tire problem and these two rednecks came out of a gas station and started shooting over our heads, firing at us. We like, what? <laughs> Arkansas is a crazy place. So we finally made it. And so we camped in the woods and, and uh, about 200 folks went skinny dipping in the Mississippi, you know, it was just crazy. And so all these big bands were scheduled to play, but the, the state of Louisiana was trying to prevent it, trying to shut it down. So we reached a point where we had to cross onto the island, and they were running a ferry. And we were sitting there waiting for our turn, and it, it had this kind of biblical look and feel that we were about to cross the Jordan or something, you know, to the promised land. I was like, whoa, this is cool. So we got to the site and all these folks were camped on the um, levees waiting to get in. They, they, they wouldn't open the gate. Mm. So that night there were campfires as far as you could see on those levees. You know? <laughs> it was so amazing. So the next morning, John Hendricks, our kind of a road manager, he got inside and said, hey, we're a band. Will you let us in? They said, yeah, sure. So we rolled down off the levee and you could hear this cheer go up because they could see something was happening. Maybe it was going to come off after all, you know, and we were like. <laughs> so we got in and camped and they finally opened the gates and we played the free stage and uh, had a lot of fun, and so some of the acts started canceling because um, all the hassles, and, and it was kind of stormy, you know, thunderstorms and stuff. 
Stephen Stills played, and uh, Melanie, and the Chambers Brothers, and uh, I think John Sebastian played. A bunch of folks managed to make it. And so, one, uh, they were getting short of artists, so they invited us to play the main stage. And we were like, this scruffy little band from Oklahoma that nobody knew. So we said, okay. So we went over and we're sitting in the green room, the, the big tent, and this guy runs in in a loincloth and, and changes, kind of changes his costume, runs back out, and somebody said, hey, that was Ted Nugent. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all right. So we didn't get on that night, and so the next morning I knew we were going to play, and I was feeling all this energy. I, you know, it's just like, whoa, something's going on here. So that evening, early evening, we finally went on stage and we took all these Renaissance dancers on stage with us. And they had had a storm the day before and blew the big stage over and killed the guys, so the promoters were kind of nervous and there was a big thunderstorm headed our way. And the promoter said, everybody off the stage, everybody off the stage. And I said, no, everybody stay where you are. We're not getting off the stage. This is our chance to play. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to miss this opportunity. So I just kind of instinctively turned and I started singing Ohm. And I got my arms up, you know, it was just like, and everybody on stage is Omen. And these tens of thousands of people are singing Ohm. And that thunderstorm split in half and went around us. And everybody went, whoa. <laughs> And so it was such an incredible evening. We started playing, and they'd handed out 50,000 candles. There were about 100,000 people finally made it inside. We rocked the house. It was so much fun. That's about it. That's it. Thank you so much. <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. I love it, I love it. I want to share a good cause with you. My brother and his wife just started a fund to relieve the financial burden of miscarriages and stillbirths. They used the fund to pay the hospital bills of grieving parents in honor of Weston, their son who passed too soon. So just search for Weston's Fund. That's W-E-S-T-I-N fund.org. You can also find a link on the page for this episode. Thank you, Z, for your story. Thank you, Dana Boulay, for your music. And thank you for listening. <laughs>